friends, will you pray with me, please? Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks as we enter your presence this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Last month we were doing a worship series on Jesus, who Jesus was, what he came to do in the world, and why that mattered. Today we kick off our February worship series, which is all about the basics of Christian living. These teachings of Jesus not so much, are not so much a prescription as they are a description. Not so much a prescription for Christian life, but a description of how the characteristics and actions that we have in our soul and in our being are appropriate to our Christian living. Jesus kicks off his public uh, teaching and his public life in Matthew's narrative with the opening verses that we call Sermon on the Mount. It occupies the space of the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of Matthew. And as he opens this teaching, we traditionally refer to these verses as the Beatitudes. That comes from the Latin word beati. But Matthew uses this Greek word. It's makari. Um, makari. It sometimes is translated as happy or being or favor, as in favored one of God. I'm going to read this morning from Matthew's fifth chapter with the opening verse through verse 12. Listen now to what the evangelist has to say from the mouth of Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God add blessing to this reading of Holy Scripture. It occurred to me that every single generation and every single culture holds out a vision of what happiness looks like. In our American society today, as in societies across the world, we hold out and envision a, a life of happiness that is healthy, a life of happiness that holds respect for ourselves and for others, and a standard of living that will help us provide for our families. That is what promotes happiness in our world. It is not unlike our ancient listeners that sat at the feet of Jesus that our culture, as does their culture, did their culture value recognition, prestige, influence, and position also as signs 
of success. And one must only look as far as our political rhetoric to find that we have somehow um, turned to be to find acceptance in that which is disparaging, that which separates and condemns one another in the pursuit of this so-called happiness. So given our human mindset of success and happiness, we are shocked when Jesus literally turns this paradigm upside down. What might seem like the basics for our human need of, of safety and provision and achievement may not, after all, bring us the peace and the fulfillment that we desire. Henry Nouwen uh, looks at the difference between optimism and hope. And he says that those who are optimistic uh, look towards the future, hoping to see that which is good in the future. But those who are hopeful, people of hope, reside in the present. And it is God that they trust to hold the future. You hear the difference? And when Jesus sits down and talks about these blessed people, he is talking about those who hold hope in their hand. Those who trust that God holds out a good future for all people. And they have somehow gotten to the place where they can give up worldly things that matter and take on for themselves a position of humility and gratitude and comfort. They live in the present above all the trappings that this world has to define about happiness. And they find instead this essential self that is deep in themselves, a place where God has created them to be, and a place where God has created them to serve others. They hold fast to this essential self, and it is there that they realize that God has favor for them, for us. We as Methodists call that grace, God's grace for us. And we, we realize in that grace that we are blessed, but we are blessed for a reason, and that is to bring the blessing to others. This last week, I ran across an essay that was written by an American poet, Tommy Hoagland, or Tony Hoagland, sorry. He died in 2018 from pancreatic cancer. And about a month before he died from this cancer, he wrote this essay. And I'm going to share part of it with you today. Because in it, I think he captures the essence, this uh, makari that Jesus describes in his list of things that cause us to be blessed. In his writing, Tony empties himself out and he becomes vulnerable for us. And he shares with us what he learned when he was having cancer treatments at MD Anderson in Houston. He describes that the first time that you park your car in the vast, cold cavern of an underground parking garage and you step onto the elevator, you may feel alien and forsaken. 
Perhaps you'll feel that you have been singled out unfairly, he writes, plucked out from your healthy life and cast into this cruel ordeal. But then you begin to walk through the lobby and the halls with the manila envelopes of x-rays under one arm and a folder full of notes and uh, reports from your previous doctors. And in that moment, you might sense fear and trembling. But as you go through the hallways, one after another, looking for elevator B, you begin to realize that this place is full of people. There is people riding the escalators, reading books and magazines, checking their phones by the coffee pot. And then it will dawn on you that most of these people also have cancer. In fact, it seems like in this world, everyone has cancer. And with relief and dismay, you'll realize I'm not special. Everyone here has cancer. In this country of cancer, he writes, everyone is simultaneously a have and a have not. In this land, no citizens are protected by property, by their job description, by their prestige or pretense. They're not even protected by their prejudices. Neither money nor education, greed nor ambition can alter these facts. You are simply a cancer citizen bargaining for more life. And now that you're sick, you have much time to think, he writes. Think about your own life, the privileges you've had, the opportunities missed, and uh, the um, sadness that you have faced. Your attention is made keen by need and by your intimate dependence upon those who inexhaustibly are kind to you, even though they're strangers. In Tony's vulnerability, he relays that it was one night when he, in his hospital gown and cotton long johns, traveled the hallways. He pushed his IV pole down the corridor at midnight. He says, I've rolled these IV poles for miles down these deserted hallways and empty waiting rooms, taken it over the sky bridge and back. It was one such night at 1 o'clock in the morning that I met a black guy doing about the same thing. We paused for a moment and we talked for a bit in our matching pale green smocks with our ivy poles and dripping bags. As we stood there together on the wide, deserted walkway, it seemed as if our cancer had erased all of our differences by bringing us into this intimate intimacy of shared troubles. Tony continues that it is in the Republic of Cancer that you might have your prejudices shattered, It's in in the rooms of this great citadel that patients of one color are cared for by people of other colors. In the elevators and the operating theaters, one accent meets another accent. And when this nurse from the Philippines or an aide from Houston's Fifth Ward or a tech named Dave say, I'll pray for you, 
you are filled with gratitude for their compassion. He relays that it is this stupefying and ultimate transforming thing that here, when I do not expect it, I encounter decency, patience, compassion, warmth, and good humor. I remember a shift nurse with a pale olive skin and thick eyebrows who, in the middle of the night, brought me a pack of warm towels, damp and heated in the microwave. She was so kind and respectful to me that after she departed, I abruptly burst into tears and blew her a kiss behind the closed door. Hoagland believes, friends, that more than ever, that at the bottom of every human being there is this reset button. Undeniably, it is difficult to get to. It seems to require that the ego must be demolished by circumstances beyond our control sometimes. But when we reach that button and we press it, then the world might reshape itself. But in order to change, he states, you must cross the threshold and enter a condition of helplessness and experience the mystifying intimacy between sick and the caregivers, between yourself and every person who is equally laid low. Friends, crossing this threshold, as Hoagland puts it, requires us to admit that we are absolutely powerless against all the powers of this world that it is in these times that we must turn towards God and away from all the world and how the world identifies us. And when we turn towards God, that is what prepares us for a change. According to Jesus, these people who weep, these people who offer compassion and kindness, those who carry one another's burdens, those who do what's right, in the sight of God and in the sight of others, even though it might require sacrifice of oneself, those who work for peace and those who see things as God sees them are blessed. Not only are they blessed, but these followers of Christ are a blessing to the world in a way that brings about healing so that we also might see the kingdom of God and see what it is like, so that we might also move and be compelled to become a follower of Christ and be a blessing for others as well. So my prayer for you today and for myself is that God might truly bless us. Amen.